on Friday night, just gone at Pulse, I saw a, a physical reenactment of a metaphorical story that over the years has been told by such people as Billy Graham and John MacArthur and Rick Warren and many, many others. I don't know who first told it, but I've heard it many a time from many different people. We were having a barbecue just outside here. And it was to mark our last Friday session before the summer. And I'd lit two bags of charcoal in the barbecue. And it end. And the, the flames were spreading across them and, and the bags starting to collapse. And it was time to draw the, the coals into the middle so that there'd be heat all the way along. And as I did that with the hot coals, one of the lumps that I hit with the uh, poker thing that I had came out and came over the top and landed on the ground. Emily did say, I don't think anybody else saw this at the time. I kicked the lump of charcoal underneath the barbecue so that it wasn't near anybody. Um, but obviously, I'm doing the cooking, it was fine. So, so there was this hot bit of charcoal on the ground. But it didn't stay hot. You know, As the burning coals in the actual barbecue itself got hotter and had that flame and heat, and, and got to a lovely cooking temperature. It was really glowing. The one on the ground cooled. The coal from the fire goes out. Barely an hour after it fell, I could pick up that coal with my fingers, chuck it back in the barbecue. the other coals were still roasting. And in fact, it was still hot at 11 o'clock at night. We'd lit it about half seven. It was still pumping out a bit of heat at 11 o'clock when I checked on it. When we are together, we encourage each other with the flame of God's love and power. But when apart, our faith cools, and after time, its fire becomes extinguished. The coal out of the fire isn't part of the fire anymore. We can see in Paul's letter to the Hebrews that he was concerned that even in the early church, some were in danger of becoming the lump that was on the floor. That for whatever reason, they'd removed themselves from the fire and now their faith was weaker. They were killing. 
But Paul doesn't start there, does he? He starts as we should start all manner of things, by thinking of God, by thinking of our salvation, of our hope. And the language that he uses here might uh, be full of church speak. It's things that we might say that if we were to mention it outside, wouldn't quite fit in. Not quite how we talk with a wider population. But this is the letter to the Hebrews, the believers that were children of Abraham, who'd grown up the scriptures that we call the Old Testament. And so we hear of the the sprinkling of blood. We think of the most holy place. We think of the curtain, the ritual cleansing water. These all speak to those early followers of sacrificed, of priesthood, and of forgiveness. They all speak of being in a place of worship, of being gathered together. And the reason why we ourselves gather together. It's to give praise and to think of the mercy and the grace of God and how in him forgiveness comes. Whenever we meet here, it's not about us, but about him giving God glory and honor and praise is why we come. But Paul is making clear that the old ways were gone. And we are really privileged in the separation that had been known before the cross that it's no more. It had been the case that the most holy place of the temple the most sacred spot, the the place where people felt the most that they were in the true presence of God was set apart by a curtain. And only the most high priest would be allowed to enter that area. And that would only happen on the Day of Atonement. It would only happen once a year that the Most High Priest, the one person, would enter there. And although not so much at the time of Jesus, but for most of the history before that, people would have a one-year turn of being the most high priest. And it would only be certain people from a certain family that would get that turn. It would only be men for a start. That's half the population out. And then there would have to be Levites. So it truly was a once in a lifetime opportunity to go beyond the curtain, 
to be in the fullness of God's presence. But now, that dividing line is gone. Because as Jesus dies on the cross, the curtain is ripped into, torn from top to bottom. And it allows us, indeed invites us, to come close to God in worship. To be in God's presence on an intimate way. That thing that was so limited to just a tiny, tiny handful of folk becomes an opportunity for all of us. We can all come to God and know him most intimately. All of the faith can come close. And it was a great honor to be chosen as the high priest. And we need to remember it's a great honor for each one of us that we can come close as individuals, that we have that invitation to be in God's presence. But perhaps that invitation to be in the presence becomes something that we're just so used to that we forget about how precious it truly is. There's a danger that we might become blasé and take it for granted, that our attitude to worship would then just become something else in our week's calendar, going out for coffee with a friend, returning the books to the library, volunteering at the hospital, all things that in their own way are actually good things to do. But Paul is keen that we remember that there's something incredibly special here. Incredibly special. It is a time that we value because it's God's gift to each one of us that enables it to happen. So costly. So precious that we can come close. That we can come close. And when we come to worship, we find that in giving of ourselves, of giving that time, of giving of our money, of giving of our everything, we discover more of the God who has such immense love for us. and cares about every detail of our life, not, not just what happens here for an hour on the Sunday morning, but cares about every moment throughout the week, where we've been, who we've met with, the things that we've shared, who we've chatted with on the phone. He cares about all that stuff. And in the being here, Together, we are renewed and restored. Now, of course, that, that sense of forgiveness, of renewal, of restoration can happen wherever we are, 
wherever we spend time with God. It can happen during the week in our personal prayer times. We don't need to be in a church building to have spiritual encounters with the Lord. Yet there's something important about gathering together. And part of it is, is the communal prayer saying, and speaking of that word, amen, which means I agree. It's of making each other's prayers one. Our hearts in, in agreement that what we are saying should be offered before the Lord. And it's right that we do that. We celebrate sacraments of baptism and holy communion. We pray together. But we are a path of the church where the focus is more on the word rather than the rituals and the recitations that others may do on a weekly basis. One of the ways we share the word is in the singing that's why, other than Psalms, so few of our hymns date from earlier than 400 years ago. It's because those hymn writing really came of age as the Reformed tradition came of, into being. The Reformation gave each of us more of a voice to sing the song, to sing the story. And as we bring music and sing together, we each individually worship. We're bringing something of our heart to the Lord. But we're also doing it together. Our praise is to be a blessing to God's ears and not necessarily those standing next to me might not be blessed by the tune that I make. Being together and praising together makes our own voice stronger. And it's an important dynamic of our tradition. There is a harmony in a musical sense when we sing together, but it also aligns hearts and minds about what those words are. The words in what we sing are important and tell a story. And this is part of our building up. Building up to be the church the rest of the week. We are encouraged here by being together, by being surrounded by friends, sharing common uh, story of faith. But then we are scattered. We're scattered to be God's people throughout the week, to go into the world, to carry on singing that song, not necessarily aloud, but singing within our hearts. Paul tells us that part of being the church is to spur one another along towards love, towards good deeds. It's not for us to find obstacles 
to engage in that stop us engaging in mission, but to encourage each other to see how each one of us might serve on our front lines, how we can be the scattered red dots of the LICC video. It is with the experience of growing and learning together as people of God that we are equipped to be in the world. That's why things like prayer times together and home groups together during the week are so vital to to encourage us, to encourage one another that we can move forward as a people. And when we are not engaging in the life and work of the church, we're less likely to seek the growth of the kingdom. The cool call, the call that fell out and landed on the floor, does not in itself set others alight. But the warmth of the fire radiates well beyond the barbecue. You know, when I was flipping the burgers, you know, it was difficult to stand close enough to flip them because of the heat. Not just in the fire, but what was coming out. Its presence could be felt more than a metre away. We need what we have here to be felt outside for that love, that warmth, that welcome, that hope we have to be felt. As hot coals, we need to be part of the fire each Sunday. But we also have the purpose of spreading the kingdom throughout the week with that glow within of the Holy Spirit, we are ones that will enable others to encounter the presence of God. The love of God, the hope of God, that they may know the preciousness of what God has done for them as he has done for us. We take that warmth and light of his presence until that day when the full radiance of his glory will be seen. We take that message and hope out into the world and encourage each other to do so until Christ returns and the fullness of his reign is known. May this be our mission as a church. Amen.